I'd like to uh, read from Psalm 105 as we start our service together. Psalm 105 says, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Are we continuing the reading in Colossians, which Martin just read to us, and uh, we're beginning at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3, and then taking up verse 9. This is Paul's great prayer for the church. And we're using these series of readings in Colossians as part of the theme tonight, and indeed we use this as a basis for our praying as well. So it's, uh, we, the reading is Colossians chapter 1, 9 to 14, but just starting with Paul's thanksgiving for the church. This is his prayer. We always Thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. He gives a series of reasons why he does that. For this reason, verse 9, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Now we're going to pray together, but before we do, we just try to apply this prayer 
in the course of our praying. What is Paul doing here? Well, he's giving thanks for the church. It is a church that has come into being because of the gospel. That's what makes the church. It is a church he cares for deeply, though he's never been to the church. It is a church that he writes about respectfully, though it's got all sorts of problems and difficulties. It is far from perfect. And the point? If we love the church, then we should love the gospel. Put it like this. What is the church like without the gospel? Well, it's like a ship without a rudder. It's like a hospital without medics. It's like a restaurant without food. Tap without water. But a church with the gospel, like that ship, it has clear direction. Like a hospital, it has healing. And a restaurant, it has growth and feeding. And like water, it has life. You see the point that Paul is making. So this isn't a prayer just simply to pray. So the church isn't here because of tradition or it's a nice building. It is because of the gospel. And when we pray, we should not criticize the church. Though it is not perfect. We should be thankful and prayerful and confident. And it is a great prayer that Paul prays here for the church then and for the church now. And I hope that we can do that. So let's pray together. As we come in prayer, we can come with thanksgiving. We look back over yesterday and are humbled by new beginning. And we pray that this is but a start of God's blessing as the gospel rings out in this village throughout the communities and other churches too Lord we come to you and we ask that you will help us as a community of people and with all of our imperfections we thank you that you have brought us into the kingdom of light the kingdom of Jesus Christ and often our lives are lived out in anticipation of a greater kingdom so give us confidence and faith to trust you and not only the gospel as it is preached in pulpits but as it is taught informally in our relationships at home and at work and at leisure we thank you for the day of grace that is wide open in our country and we are humbled by people who struggle and are oppressed and we have little real concept, Lord how can we, of people who are displaced by the million and mothers and children struggling as a consequence of war and injustice and poverty so we are mindful of that and we don't pray through guilt but by grace 
And surely, Lord Jesus, your grace makes us grateful. So we pray for forgiveness when we are inclined to complain so easily. You have lavished us with grace upon grace, and we are thankful. So we pray for your blessing on those, just some folk whom we've mentioned. And we pray yet again in our country that the beacon of the gospel will be heard clearly and that whatever our traditions and customs that they would be subordinate to your gospel of good news of great joy for all people and all times so we ask your blessing tonight may our worship rise as a fragrant offering to you and although sometimes out of duty we serve you, we pray for a spirit of joy and celebration. And may that overflow into our homes and into all of our relationships. We pray for our nation. And Lord, whatever our particular thoughts about the prospect of independence to Scotland, and the impact of the United Kingdom somehow in your sovereign will that you would overrule in that we Lord are mere creatures of time and events you are the sovereign Lord you guide the nations and you can make even the wrath of men to praise you and the folly of men to glorify you so would you help us and in a spirit of thanksgiving may that infectious joy overflow as we present ourselves to you tonight in the spirit in your presence on your day among your people Lord graciously hear us we pray all of which we pray for the glory of your name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. And we have another reading, I think, Martin. Yes. Thank you. So continuing uh, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, uh, from verse 21. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. We continue on in Colossians chapter 1 starting now at verse 24 and reading through to chapter 2 verse 5. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking 
in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body which is the church I have become his servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you the hope of glory we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ to this end I labor struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments for though I am absent from you in body I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is Well, it's a great letter, isn't it, to the Colossians, and uh, hopefully these readings this evening have um, stirred your heart. Um, it's good to hear Mark uh, preach this morning in uh, the first sermon following his induction yesterday about the importance that the, the Bible sets out in knowing Christ. And um, it's helpful as he explained what that actually looks like, what that, what that means in practice to us. But I wonder what your um, expectation is of Mark and uh, Grant and myself as pastors what is the thing that you want most from us because I'm sure each of you will have slightly different expectations um, maybe slightly different idea of how we should uh, prioritise our time what our goals should be for the, for the church and uh, how we should be working towards them so I thought it might be helpful to look at what Paul's goal was for the church because yes he was an apostle he had a very unique role in many ways but um, in many ways what his role was was exactly the same as what a pastor or an elder would be to do, to do today and in the first chapter of this letter we find out um, interesting enough that Paul has actually never visited the church of Colossae um, but he's heard a lot about the church there and so as the, the letter opens he praises the Lord because of their faith in Jesus Christ their love for all God's people and their hope in the gospel although he's never met them he has a real passion for them he thanks God for them and he prays for them because they are part of the church of Christ and one of the encouraging things I found about yesterday's uh, induction service was meeting with other Christians from, from different churches uh, it reminds us in the words of uh, verse 3 here of chapter 1 that the gospel is bearing fruit is growing throughout the whole world and Paul is excited about the growth of the church in Colossae uh, and in his letter he, he reveals his supreme concern for them and the first thing we read about in this passage which I see just read for us in terms of Paul's concern is that it is to serve the church he wants to serve the church Let's look at verse 24 again now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body 
which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me. Servant. That's an interesting word, isn't it? You know, we use the word serve quite a lot. We use service quite a lot. You know, a restaurant wants to offer good service to its customers. And we give reviews on the quality of service that we receive. Uh, hotels have their TripAdvisor rating posted up for all to see. Assuming it's a good one, of course. Um, you know, things have moved on since the days of faulty towers. So we don't use the word servant so much, do we? Uh, maybe because it's become a little bit outdated. Um, it has a connotation of class system, something out of uh, Downton Abbey. Um, but it's not something that you have in the 21st century UK. A little role that maybe we'd be willingly to, to accept. Now, we still have ministers today, we have church ministers, we have government ministers, we have the prime minister. Um, and I wonder whether people really know what that word really means, because minister really is a servant. That's all it is. You know, we're deacons. We have, uh, in the Church of England, they have archdeacons, you know, super servants. Um, but Paul said his role was to serve the church. He was a servant of the church. And to serve the church is to put the interests of the church before your own. Now, that doesn't mean you can't lead and be a servant at the same time. But it means when you lead, you, you're doing something which is not just good for you, actually it's good for those you are serving. You're leading them in the direction which you think they should go for their benefit. And the key test of whether you're really putting the interest of others before your own is if you're prepared to suffer on behalf of those you're serving. So Paul says, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And he went, underwent amazing suffering, didn't he? You can read about it in 2 Corinthians, uh, flogging, stonings, um, imprisonment, shipwrecks. But why would he rejoice in his sufferings? We came up uh, in this morning's passage in Philippians 2, this is what it said there, where Paul writes, I want to know Christ, yet to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. If we're suffering for Christ, for his people, and we're not suffering on our own. Christ is suffering with us. And uh, in our suffering, we become more united to Christ. It actually helps us become more like Christ. And so the, Paul, the reason Paul was prepared to suffer was for the sake of his body, which is the church. And he was a better teacher because of his suffering. His faith was real. It wasn't uh, theoretical. He knew what it was like to have Christ by his side. He, he could pass the encouragement on to others for their benefit. And a pastor needs to be prepared to suffer for his church. You don't become a pastor if you want an easy life. Now, that's not to say that's not enjoyable, not a privilege, but it's not easy. And I'm sure if you spoke to, to Jeff, he, he'd be able to confirm that over many years. Might not be on a level comparable with uh, Paul, but uh, you know you deal with criticism, um, both to your face, uh, both behind your back. People let you down. You experience heartaches. And I think the biggest heartache of the job is probably um, seeing people struggle and leave the church, people falling out, um, people rejecting Christ. That is a, uh, a hard thing to, to bear as, as a pastor. 
And if serving and suffering are inevitable part of being a pastor, you need to know that God has called you to that role. Which is what yesterday was about, recognising that God had called Mark into ministry. And Paul says here, I have become the church's servant by the commission God gave me. I mean, this was our commission last week in Acts 26, if you remember how Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and this is what, what Jesus said to Paul. He said, I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There's a clear commission, there's a clear calling. He sent Paul out. But in what ways does Paul serve the church? And always does this pastor serve the church? Where it's by proclaiming Christ. Have a look at verse 25. It carries on. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. He, Christ, is the one we proclaim. But what does it mean to proclaim Christ? Well, if you look back at verses 15 to 23 that were read out earlier on, we see Paul already proclaiming Christ. He's proclaiming the the supremacy of Christ, the the sufficiency of Christ. He's been proclaiming Christ as the Christ of history, the Christ of eternity. He's been proclaiming Christ as creator, as redeemer, the one who reconciled us to God. All this is a proclamation of who Christ is. And to present the word of God in all its fullness and to proclaim Christ are very much one and the same thing. It's making Christ known. And that is why God has given us his word, to reveal Christ. We can't know Christ without knowing the word of God. When Christ preached, which was the main ministry he came to do, he proclaimed himself as the one through whom people could come to God. And as we preach, we proclaim Christ as the way to God. What is that he did? Is Paul proclaim about Christ in just this passage we've, we've had read to us? Rather look at verse 27, because what he says um, about um, Christ is that Christ in you, the end of verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And those six words, what we have is the amazing, the, the humbling truth that Christ, the Son of God, in all his power by the Spirit, can dwell in us. We can have such an intimate relationship with him. He's our personal saviour. He's our Lord. And this is where what Ray was saying yesterday was so so relevant because we can present the person of Christ in all his amazing glory. He is an attractive person. But what people really want to know is what difference has he made to you? Can they see Christ in you? If they see how different our lives are as a result of Christ in us, they, they may want to know more. 
And as pastors, as Ray was saying again yesterday, we have a responsibility to teach, but we have a responsibility to model that to the church. And in turn, you have a responsibility to model that to the world. And one of the main differences people will see if they see Christ in us is that they will see the hope of glory. The greatest gift that we can have in the present is hope for the future, the hope of glory. How often does hope keep us going in the present? On a life note, um, I'm sure Ray Bolton can relate to this one if I'm having a terrible round of golf, um, but then I think a 20 foot putt, I'm going to be full of hope that uh, things can get better. I might improve. Or on a more serious note, if we are ill and we think we can get better, that God will make us better, we can be motivated to carry on. If we find life hard, it's both Christ in us and the hope of future glory that keeps us going. That is the message that the world needs to hear. The world with all its pain and suffering. That is not all there is. That is what Christians, what keeps Christians going in a row, isn't it, at this time? Knowing that there is a future glory. There is glory to look forward to and that glory will become clear as we meet Jesus one day face to face and become like him. Well, Paul is called to serve, which involves suffering. He is called to proclaim Christ and the hope of glory. But ultimately, what was the purpose of doing that? What was his supreme concern? Have a look at verse 28 and how that verse finishes. He, Christ, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. His supreme concern, the supreme concern of us as pastors, is to present everyone fully mature in Christ. That means the current members of this church, that that means others we hope one day will become members of this church in due course, who are not even anywhere near the church at this current time. Because the great commission that Jesus gave his disciples was, was to go into the world. It was to, to make disciples, teaching them to obey all that he commanded them, baptizing them. They were disciples themselves, and they were called to go out and make other disciples. In other words, they were, they were learners, but they never stopped learning. And nor were the new disciples never stop learning. Which is why part of our vision is to be a learning church. We will never have learned all we need to know this side of eternity. You can quite easily walk down a street in this country full of uh, restaurants and make up your mind which one you're going to go in um, by maybe reading the menu on the outside, maybe looking at what it looks like from outside. But if you go to some countries, and it's usually the hot countries, um, you'll have people outside trying to drag you into their restaurant trying to tell you, well, it's got the best food, um, it's the cheapest, uh, they get the best reviews, um, etc. If the restaurant was empty, then they're even more desperate to get you in, because obviously uh, a crowd draws a crowd. If it's empty, people think, well, there must be something wrong with that restaurant. Their mission is to get you in, get your money, draw a crowd, and then get you out again and get somebody else in. Contrary to what some people think, that is not what the church is about. To get people in, get their money, get them doing stuff. It's not about 
bums on seats is not about competing with other churches in terms of numbers. Church is about helping one another grow in our faith. Paul travelled widely throughout the Mediterranean on his missionary journeys. He planted new churches at a time when travel was, was hard. You couldn't just get on an easy jet plane and go to the other side of Europe. But he didn't just come in as a celebrity preacher and make loads of converts and disappear. He stayed in some places months, if not years. He returned to places that he'd been. He wrote letters to the churches that he set up. He prayed for them. He sent, he sent people to them to help them, as we heard yesterday. He didn't separate evangelism from discipleship. His goal was to present everyone fully mature in Christ. And that involved, as it says here, admonishing. That involved teaching with all wisdom. Because for someone to grow, they need to have the truth taught to them. They need to have false ideas corrected. And it's the same as what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. That very well-known verse, all scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Two positives, teaching and training. Two negatives, rebuking, correcting. But the two go hand in hand. And to admonish is not the same as simply pointing out somebody's mistakes. And we all know plenty of people who are good at that. It might be, it might be us. Admonishing is a hard thing. It has to be done with gentleness. It has to be done with respect. Because ultimately you don't just want to convince somebody they're wrong. You want them to see for themselves that they've got something wrong. You want them to learn from it and to grow as a result. After all, we learn more from our mistakes, don't we, than from getting everything right. But if the supreme concern is maturity, what exactly does it mean to be mature? And I think some of what mean, that means um, comes out in the first verses of chapter 2. Have a look down at some of those. Paul says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, I think we have two key aspects of maturity here. On the one hand, we have understanding and wisdom and knowledge. And on the other hand, we have encouragement in heart. We have a unity of love. I think what these demonstrate is that maturity is both about faith in Jesus Christ and the depth of our knowledge of him, but it's also about how we live that faith out in practice, in love. And that is what he's getting at, I think, right at the end when he says, um, I delight, in verse 5, to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. It's firmness of faith and it's discipline of Christian behaviour. You can't have one without the other in terms of maturity. If I was to say to myself, look, I'm going to set myself this goal this year of growing in love. I'm going to really help people, I'm going to put them first. I'm not going to say any unkind words to them. I don't want to fall out with anybody. That would be a great goal to have, wouldn't it? But on what basis would I be doing that? Ultimately, I'd be trying to do that in my own strength. And I probably wouldn't last very long. But if on the other hand I asked the Lord to show me in his word, his love for me, that I would be inspired and equipped 
to love others. That would be very different, wouldn't it? I'll take another example. If you are not encouraged in heart, because maybe you worry a lot, or maybe you lack courage in being a Christian, do you say, well, this year I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus, whatever. How long is that going to last, really, again? But if, on the other hand, you said, Lord, fill me with a conviction of your sovereign power, your control over my life, Show me in your word where you promise to never leave me nor forsake me. Make those words by your spirit become real to me so that I may need never worry. Now that may produce lasting change. Paul is so committed to this goal of seeing Christians grow to maturity that he says in verse 29, To this end I labour, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. He's doing all he, he possibly can, whatever the cost, but relying on the energy that Christ gives him. A pastor's work never ends. There is always someone else you could visit, somebody else you can phone, somebody else you can email. There are always people who are not yet Christians you can hang out with. There's always a new training course you can prepare. There's always something in church life that you can improve on. As a leadership team at the moment, we have a massive a to-do list. But the most important things I think you can pray uh, for myself, for Mark, for Grant and the elders would be, first of all, as we heard this morning, our relationship with Christ. To keep focused on the goal, though, of presenting everyone mature in Christ. And what that means in order to do that is that we need wisdom in terms of how we prioritise our time. Once we know what God wants us to, to do, to prioritise, then we can pray for the energy to do that because God will give us all sufficient energy to do the things he wants us to do. And if we're running out of energy, then either we're doing too much or we're relying on our own strength or we're doing things that he doesn't want us to do. And let's be careful and it's not to judge others by comparing what they are doing with what we are doing. You know, just as God gives different people different gifts and different roles, he gives different people different levels of energy, I think, at different times. He's not interested in what we have achieved in our own strength, but in our desire to serve, in how much we've relied on his strength, because his power is made perfect in our weakness. Someone may be ill, they may have no energy at all to, to do anything but for the Lord. But by asking for the energy to pray for the Lord's work, that in itself is pleasing to him. Well, as we finish, to present everyone mature in Christ, this is the supreme concern of pastors, as it was for Paul. But I hope also it's your supreme concern as well. I hope that you would want to grow in maturity. I hope you would want to help others grow in maturity. Not everybody can preach from the pulpit, but we can all say words of, of encouragement from the Bible. We can all pray for one another. We can all meet up with others and, and read the Bible together. And Colossians finishes at the end with a great um, encouragement that this is what we should be all be doing together. Have a look over the page to chapter 3, verse 15, that I'll finish with. What a great 
particularities of the church that the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him let's have a moment of quiet um, might actually be quite good if you were to share maybe share with the person next to you something which God may have been challenged you with in this, this uh, passage this evening um, maybe ask them to pray to you about something which um, uh, God has spoken to you about um, what time do you prefer just to sit quiet that's, that's fine as well and to just pray pray on your own this is a moment of um, just taking on board what has been said to us not to leaving it where it is but thinking how we can pray that God will give us the strength to put into practice what he's, what he's taught us this evening that's the moment so a few minutes to do that feel free to chat to your, to your neighbour Thank you for the example that uh, Paul has given us in this passage to serve for your church, to be willing to suffer for your church. We thank you that he felt called to proclaim Christ. And the purpose of that was to present everyone fully mature in Christ. Lord, we recognise that is a uh, a responsibility of us as pastors and elders but we also recognise that this is a responsibility of each one of us as a church and we pray that we would each want to grow in our own faith and we would want to see this church grow also not in just in numbers but we long to see that as well but in spiritual maturity and we acknowledge the responsibility each one of us has to see one another grow to help one another to teach to to admonish, to encourage, to pray for. Lord, help us to do that out of a love for one another, out of a desire to, to serve you. We pray that people would see us as a church and see Christ in us, the hope of glory. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in the words of our final hymn, Love Divine, final verse says finish then your new creation pure and sinless let us be let us see your great salvation perfect in eternity now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.